Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about alcohol and the teen brain. I learned some really amazing information that I can't wait to share with you guys. I'll explain how bullying contributes to teen drinking and why teens tend to binge drink. 
This topic connects back to episode 22 on anxiety, so you'll learn more about brain-derived neurotrophic factor with an explanation on DNA and RNA. I will also discuss how teen drinking puts kids at risk to develop addictions later in life and some statistics on this topic. So let's dig in. Researchers in Australia and the UK have proposed three periods of dynamic brain changes that may be particularly vulnerable to the harmful effects of alcohol. These are gestation, late adolescence from 15 to 19 years old, and older adulthood above 65 years old. For teens, studies suggest that binge drinking during these years is associated with reduced brain volume, poor white matter development, and small to moderate deficits in cognitive functioning. Remember that white matter forms the connections between neurons and other parts of the brain. White matter is damaged by alcohol abuse for adults too. There's a lot of pressure for teens to drink to be cool. Many adults even say things like, it's just what kids do. It's socially acceptable to party in high school, but this is a very critical age for brain development. The earlier you start drinking, the more likely you are to develop a problem with alcohol. This is because heavy drinking while your brain is still developing can cause changes to the brain that wouldn't happen otherwise. These changes can make it more likely that the person will develop an addiction problem, or if they didn't drink during these years, these changes may have never occurred. The other problem with teens is bullying. There is a link between bullying and substance abuse, and this is strongest for girls who are bullied about their weight. A 2020 study published in Addictive Behaviors looked at almost 1,400 students ages 11 to 14 from five public middle schools in Connecticut. The kids were asked if siblings, parents, or peers had teased them about their weight, body shape, or eating in the last six months. Sadly, 55% of participants said yes, 76% of overweight girls, and 71% of overweight boys reported teasing. Of the kids who are not overweight, 52% of girls and 43% of boys reported weight-related teasing. The kids were also asked about alcohol and marijuana use. Researchers found that frequent weight-related teasing was associated with more drinking overall, binge drinking, and with marijuana use. At a six-month follow-up, these associations still held true. According to the CDC's 2015 Youth Risk Behavior Study, 33% of high school students drank alcohol in the last 30 days. 18% reported binge drinking, and 8% said that they drove after drinking. More than 90% of the alcohol that is consumed by teens is in the form of binge drinking. A big contributor to this is that teens don't feel the negative effects as quickly as adults do, and they don't display signs of drunkenness as quickly either. Using animal models, studies have shown that teens are less sensitive to things like sleepiness and loss of motor control than adults are, which is thought to be a big contributor to why teens will binge drink most of the time they drink. 
A study published in 1998 in Alcoholism Clinical and Experimental Research gave boys who were 8 to 15 years old a dose of pure ethanol, which caused peak blood alcohol levels to be within the intoxicating range for adults. This obviously isn't something that researchers could test now, but the results were interesting. The researchers saw no behavioral signs of intoxication in the kids. A 2006 national survey published in the Archives of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine looked at about 43,000 adults who began drinking before the age of 14. They found that almost half became alcohol dependent at some point in their lives, compared to 9% of people who waited to drink until they were 21. Even when genetic predispositions are taken into account, this correlation still holds. Studies show that alcohol significantly impairs learning and memory in teens, much more than it does for adults. During our teens and early 20s, the parts of our brain that govern decision-making and the neural connections with our memory center are still developing. The last region of the brain to fully develop is our frontal lobe, which controls abstract thought, impulse control, and decision-making. The GABA system develops during our teenage years, and research has shown that kids in their early teens have lower levels of GABA in their frontal lobe than young adults who are 18 to 21 years old. If you remember from previous episodes, GABA is our main inhibitory neurotransmitter and slows down brain activity. GABA in our frontal lobe helps with cognition, impulse control, and decision-making. Research from McLean Hospital, which is affiliated with Harvard Medical School, looked at the impact of binge drinking on the frontal lobe. They looked at brain scans from young adults who were 18 to 24 years old. They found significantly lower levels of frontal lobe GABA in binge drinkers compared to light drinkers. And GABA was even lower for the participants who had experienced a blackout from drinking. They also found a negative impact on verbal learning affected by binge drinking. It's thought that the reason teens are affected less by alcohol is because they have less GABA than adults do. Remember, alcohol stimulates GABA, and it also blocks glutamate, which is our main excitatory neurotransmitter. This is another reason why teens may binge drink, because they are looking for that relaxed effect from drinking, and they have less GABA to get there. There are a lot of important areas of the brain that develop during our teens, most of which you should recognize from previous episodes. These include the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the nucleus accumbens. All of these areas of the brain play a major role in the development and maintenance of addiction. Drinking as a teen has a negative effect on frontal lobe development, and one of the main parts of the frontal lobe is the prefrontal cortex. You've heard me talk about this part of the brain a lot, and that's because it's a main reason why we are unable to moderate our drinking. Alcohol damages the prefrontal cortex in adults too, and this prevents us from making the decision to stop drinking. Even when we are aware of the negative consequences, our brain isn't sending this message along to the reward system, so we just keep having one more drink. 
If the frontal lobe takes a big hit from teenage binge drinking, then you can imagine the implications this would have on them as adults. This type of damage could make someone very susceptible to developing an addiction. Researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago Center for Alcohol Research in Epigenetics have shown that teenage heavy drinking can result in changes in the brain that affect neural connections in the amygdala, which is the part of the brain involved in emotion, fear, and anxiety. Epigenetics is a change in how our genes are regulated without actually changing the gene, so it's not a mutation. The gene can be turned on or off or upregulated or downregulated, meaning that it's more or less active. Epigenetic changes to our DNA is totally normal, but can be influenced by stress, drugs and alcohol, trauma, or environmental factors. These kinds of changes have been linked to changes in behavior and disease. So these researchers looked at post-mortem human amygdala tissue from 11 people who started drinking heavily before the age of 21, 11 people who started drinking heavily after the age of 21, and 22 people with no history of alcohol use disorder. The average death of these people was in their mid to late 50s, with the early onset drinkers dying a few years earlier than the rest. The early onset drinkers had around 30% more of a molecule called BDNF-AS, which is a large non-coding RNA. So you might have no idea what RNA is, and that's fine. So DNA holds our genes, so it, it makes us who we are. And DNA is copied into RNA, and then the RNA is used to make whatever protein the DNA is encoding. So it goes DNA to RNA to proteins. So proteins make up a lot of our body. Non-coding RNAs are RNA molecules that can't be used to make a protein. This sounds harmless, like they're just a waste of space and they'll float around and do nothing, but they are actually involved in lots of diseases like cancer. Non-coding RNA can bind to other stuff and cause its degradation or inactivation. These types of RNA can be oncogenes, meaning they cause cancer. There's one called C-MYC, which activates a bunch of other non-coding RNAs, and together they mess with our cells' ability to grow, and they enhance cancer cell growth. So this is one reason that cancer cells grow so fast, because the normal systems that our cells have in place to regulate something like this are affected by non-coding RNA. BDNF-AS stands for Brain-Derived Neurotrophic Factor Antisense. DNA and RNA are read in one direction. One direction makes sense and gives the instructions for making the protein, and reading it in the other direction makes no sense and doesn't encode for a protein. Think of how you read a book. You can only read the words in one direction for them to make sense to you. So our bodies are the same way. The other thing about antisense molecules is that they can bind to the sense version and inactivate it by blocking it, or tag it for degradation. This is how BDNF-AS regulates the expression of BDNF. When there's more BDNF-AS, there's less BDNF. 
We talked about BDNF in episode 22 when we discussed anxiety. It's a nerve growth factor which has been found to be stimulated by alcohol. BDNF plays a critical role in how much neurons are able to communicate with each other. It helps our brain form and maintain the connections between our neurons, and these connections allow the neurons to communicate with each other. When it's stimulated, it sends signals to the brain to produce a protein called ARC. This protein is a contributor to the anti-anxiety effects that we feel from alcohol. If you need a refresher, go check out episode 22. So the brains of the early onset drinkers had 30 to 40% less BDNF compared to the brains of people with no history of alcohol use disorder. Interestingly, though, the brains of the late onset drinkers had a similar amount of BDNF as the people with no history of alcohol use disorder. So the only people who had a negative effect were those that started drinking heavily before the age of 21. The researchers believe this was due to epigenetic changes from heavy drinking while the brain is in a crucial stage of development. If BDNF is lowered by teen drinking, then the brain won't develop normally because BDNF helps our brain form connections between neurons. So if we have less of this, the connections between our neurons will be negatively affected. It could potentially cause abnormal connections between neurons to form. So maybe connections that would have never happened otherwise. The other main conclusion from the study is that these changes could make a person more likely to suffer from anxiety or develop a problem with alcohol later in life. Don't forget that we learned in episode 22 that having anxiety already increases your risk for developing a problem with alcohol. So I think this study is really, really interesting. I hope that it made sense with the DNA and RNA and antisense. I can send out some pictures of that in my weekly email on Tuesday to help you understand that a little bit more. But I think this is cool because it's not just that you have experienced drinking and then you eventually drink a lot and develop an addiction. It's that teenage drinking can affect the brain in a negative way that can cause the person to then suffer from anxiety. And we know that anxiety is often self-medicated by drinking. So that is one way that drinking young can put you more at risk for developing an addiction. So drinking as a teen doesn't doom you to having addiction problems as an adult. It just increases the likelihood of this happening by a lot. So remember, in 2006, about half of adults who started drinking Young developed a dependency on alcohol compared to 9% of people who waited to drink until they were 21. Alcohol negatively impacts the developing brain of a teenager and can cause changes that make the brain more vulnerable to alcohol's addictive properties. If you have teens who have already started drinking, then I don't want to freak you out because it's entirely possible for them to grow up to be normal drinkers and never know the struggle. My husband started drinking pretty young, and he's a completely normal drinker with a PhD in chemistry and a really amazing job where I didn't start drinking until I was 22, and I had a major problem. 
So if you have teens or no teens who may be considering drinking alcohol, then this could be a good episode to introduce them to. Kids don't understand that drinking could affect their entire lives. And hearing something from a non-parent is sometimes received better. There was a kid in my high school who got a DUI and another whose face was seriously burned when he got into an accident drunk driving. I still think about that person even to this day because it was so horrible and I just really feel for him that one mistake he made at 16 years old when he was drunk had a major, major impact on his entire life. So even if you don't develop an addiction as a result of teenage drinking, there can still be other major consequences. So these guys weren't addicted to alcohol at 16. They just got drunk and drove. I hope this episode was helpful and interesting and gave you more insight to the brain and and how genes are expressed and all of that. And feel free to reach out if any of it didn't make sense to you. And I will talk to you guys next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how twos for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.